We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheney Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. On today's podcast, we are going to break down the All-22 coaches film of the offensive side of the football. But before we do that, I just wanted to give a shout out to all of you listeners who joined in on the live Q&A last Friday on Locker Room bunch of awesome guys I got to meet through that. Hopefully some girls will jump in next time as well. We want to keep this uh, girls and guys friendly. Everyone who wants to join in, jump in with the Big Blue Banter boys, as I, as I called us last time, um, and ask us some questions and chat Giants football with us. That's what we want. We want to make this about banter. So if you did enjoy that live Q&A, either you heard it on the recorded version on the feed or you joined us, let us know because we want to know if we should run something like that again. Also, as always, you can find us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter. And as always, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. That's how we uh, grow the show. So we're always looking for more rate, review, subscriptions, and downloads there. But without further ado, let's dive into the offensive side of the ball here from the All-22. And let's start with somebody who I think uh, is an important player, not only for the future, Nick, but for the rest of the 2020 season, someone who I will ultimately title this podcast after, 
because I have a strong take coming. Not too strong, though. I think most Giants fans will agree. And that's Matt Pert. I think at this point with Matt Pert or Pert, I don't even know exactly how to pronounce it. I think it's Pert, like the fruit. I think at this point with what we're seeing from Matt Pert, and I think you did an excellent job breaking down and creating a video showing all of his snaps because he obviously had that extended run uh, to some extent, rotating in at right tackle, one series at left tackle. He doesn't look to me like somebody who needs to be held back anymore at this point. I think the time is now. I think we're at week 10 of the 2020 season. The Giants are a 2-7 and seven football team, obviously still in the mix, but I don't believe that Matt Pert, any kind of mishaps he'll have in the passing game, and they, and they will come, so I hope fans won't jump down his throat if he does get more reps and he does get more snaps and he does have some mishaps in the pass game, but those potential mishaps won't offset what he's going to be able to do in the run game for this offense if he has more snaps and also in the pass game because he does flash big-time potential there as well. And it's not just potential. He's translating into the field. So I want to start there with Pert. With Pert. What did you see from Pert in this game on the All-22? And are, are you with me, Nick? Are you ready to move forward with him as the starting right tackle? Hey, everybody. Um, again, as Dan said, thank you for joining that Q&A. It was a really good time. And as for Pert, I kind of like what the Giants are doing right now, mixing in Cam Fleming, because I think a big reason why Parrot hasn't just earned that job outright is because if you do give defensive coordinators the opportunity to scheme exotic blitzes and stunts against these tackles all the time, I think they're going to kind of go ham on that. And that's going to really manipulate a young offensive line. Now, with that said, Parrot is his upside is crazy. He has very good feet per usual in this game. It was on display again. He did a really good job transitioning up to the second level on deuce combo blocks with Zeitler and even Lemieux because he played tackle. He played right tackle. That was especially on display in the first and 10 with 551 left in the second quarter. And, I mean, I was going back and forth with a listener on that specific play on Twitter. Pair on that play chips the three technique then locates that scraping linebacker. I believe it was number 53 in space. He so quickly and smoothly pivots off of his right foot and just pins that linebacker against number 31, who got absolutely demolished by Caden Smith, who we'll get into later. And I put that play on Twitter, too, if you guys want to check it out, at Nick Filato on Twitter. I mean, Parrott was just excellent. He was smooth. He's no liability as a run blocker, and he did a good job mirroring sweat a few times up the arc and pass protection as well. As I mentioned before, his punch isn't super strong. Dan, I think you could back me up on this. It almost kind of looks like he's reaching out and just establishing contact with a touch, but his hands are so very active. He does such a good job reestablishing himself off of hand counters to kind of gain the chest of opponents and his length bails him out when he do when he does lose the speed up the arc, which doesn't happen all that often because his feet are so nimble. But if a pass rusher kind of gives them a stutter step. They could maybe earn the edge if they have a really quick burst, but then his length just pushes them just far enough for Daniel Jones to step up into the pocket. Doesn't happen often, but it's something that I've seen once or twice. Man, I just think the future is really, really bright for Parrot, but I do believe a reason why he hasn't earned that role outright is because the youth of this offensive line. Just work him in there for 24 snaps here, keep the defense on their toes, get Cam Fleming out there, use him as a run blocker because he's solid in that. He's still kind of a liability in pass protection. But as we continue to kind of progress in the season, we're going to see more and more of pair. But I still think, I don't, I don't believe Fleming is going away. No, I think you make a good point there. I mean, part of when we watch this team on the All-22, it's so funny. It feels like right now there's a bit of a disconnect between where we see the game and then some of the likes of um, 
some other people who break down film, like Bobby Skinner, for example, uh, one of the a friend of the show for Talking Giants. I was I was talking to him off pod about this, and I know he broke this down a little bit in his review. Where we see Kevin Zeitler versus where Giants Twitter and the rest of Giants Nation and a few analysts I've even read see Zeitler. I mean, I've seen some projections already, assuming that next season. Will Hernandez returns at left guard, and Shane Lemieux slides over to right guard as they cap casualty cut Kevin Zeitler. Um, ultimately, I don't see that ever happen. I don't see that happening. I hope that doesn't happen with this football team. I think it would be an abject disaster, honestly, to try to save a little bit of cap space at the most important position on the field by re- by releasing the 31-year-old player who's easily the most consistent. And people say he's only really, really good in the pass game. But in this game, for example... He showed why he's also really good in the run game on a few plays. So ultimately there, I think that also plays into what you're, the point you made, Nick, because Titler's already dealing with a handful playing alongside a center who converted to the position, who we will get to on this podcast because I think we're both equally as impressed by what Nick Gates put on film this game, but also a journeyman right tackle. And then if you throw in the rookie right tackle, that makes things a little more difficult. So I'm fine with it, but at the same time, I ultimately think he can improve greatly from being on the field with more reps. I've always been a big believer, Nick, in you improve by getting more reps. You improve by being thrown into the fire and by honestly taking in good coaching, which I think the Giants kind of have at this point, or at least I believe they're trending in that right direction, or I'm close to making that assertion with Mark Colombo, especially seeing the work he's done with Andrew Thomas. So I feel like you know, Parrott might have some struggles at first. It might make things look a little uglier for Kevin Zeitler there. But ultimately, I think the upside is with Pert at the right tackle position. And I, and I understand if they, they want to wait a little longer there. But I think it will ultimately happen at some point this season. Yeah, and then there was actually a play that's in that long um, tweet that I put out there of every single one of Matt Parrott's 24 plays. And it was with Zeitler. It was the first and 10 in the second quarter, 252 left. And it was just supposed to be a combo block where Zeitler transitions up to 55, just a simple deuce combo block. And Matt Parrott doesn't do well on the transition. And those are kind of the little things that he's going to struggle with, especially against defenders like Deron Payne, who I think I've sung praises for in this podcast because he doesn't flash all the time. But just watching the All-22, you see number 94 making plays consistently when he's one-on-one blocked. And on that specific play that I reference, Parrott tries to take the the block on transition to allow Kevin Zeitler to climb to the second level and get to his second assignment. But Deron Payne just has none of it. Now that's not something that happens to pair all that much, but it will happen from time to time. And it's one, another reason why I think Cam Fleming is going to stick around to spell pair. And so Parrot's not in this kind of full-time role that, and because of everything I mentioned before about allowing defensive coordinators to just kind of tee off with exotic looks to really manipulate the protection of a second-year quarterback who's kind of struggling in that area anyways. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think ultimately when it comes down to Pert, I think some of what I was told we might see during his rookie season, which is issues with play strength, I'm not actually seeing. I think what I see is what you mentioned, which is he still has a long way to go as far as his hand usage goes, but he is very active in that regard. I just feel like he has a lot to learn there, but I do think the combination of his quick feet and his long arms really negate any potential play strength. I mean, people talked about him as a tight end, or I'm sorry, a tackle in a tight end's body to some extent, or they said at the Senior Bowl he kind of looked like a tight end running out there with the group. But I don't see size being an issue at all. Ultimately, I kind of feel like so far, it's especially in the run game with his length specifically, it's been a plus for the Giants. 
it's length and it's positioning too. He's done a really good job of he'll establish himself to a side, basically the half man, which you hear about a lot in pass protection, but it can also be referenced in the run game. And then he'll has these nimble hips to just kind of swing himself, position himself between the hole and the defender. And he's so damn long and broad that the defender doesn't really have a chance to get around him. And you're right. I don't see a lot of liabilities in terms of play strength. That one play with Deron Payne was more of a leverage battle and just a weak transition between the two players. It's not necessarily him just getting overpowered. And I want to touch on what you kind of said about Kevin Zeitler. I couldn't agree more. Kevin Zeitler is a rock on this offensive line. And I say that after watching this all 22 and thinking that this might have been one of his weaker games of the year, especially early on. I saw a couple plays where he ended up on the back. He got overpowered at the point of attack. And I was like, that's not really like Kevin Zeitler. But even still with this one game that wasn't up to what we've seen throughout the entire season, the unit played well. But I don't think that's indicative of the fact that we could just get rid of this player. I still think this player should be in the long term future for this franchise i mean he's not that old right now what is he 30 years old maybe 31 this is an offensive guard who is just incredibly experienced savvy and good at the point of attack generally so i I really do not want to just throw kevin zeitler away yeah and even even though he had some some poor reps on tape early in the game i thought he also had some big flash plays he got to the edge on one run play sealed off uh, an outside run for alfred morris he had a couple pass protection plays where he was literally just stoning his man and steps ahead of the rest of the giants offensive line in the pass rush there i just feel like overall there's so many more positive plays from kevin zeitler than negative ones And if you're looking at how to build the right roster, as we've talked about before, I understand the other perspective here from Giants fans and Giants Twitter, which is we're a rebuilding team. We have an aging player. He has a big cap hit. It's time to move on and throw in the youth. Somebody like Shane Lemieux, who's under contract incredibly cheap for three more seasons after this one. But I think this is one of the few positions you can't make that play at. I think wide receiver, skilled players, you can do that with and you can get away with it. I think when you start to do these type of things in the secondary, for example, when communication is required, or more specifically, in my mind at least, on the offensive line, you start to see big drop-offs because Shane Lemieux, who I guess we can transition to right now, I still see some plays specifically in pass protection where he's not quick enough and he's getting beat by... Moves that, you know, I didn't see Will Hernandez necessarily could be by. And that's not to say Will Hernandez was a saint in pass protection. He's not. But it felt like ultimately there is more negative from a pass pro standpoint from what I've seen from Lemieux versus somebody like Hernandez. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have to agree with that if I'm going to be honest. There were two, I think, consecutive plays or maybe they weren't consecutive. But they were really close. Same series in the fourth quarter where Lemieux lost two pass rushing uh, reps to I want to say it was Deron Payne one of them somebody who obviously we've talked about and the other one was Jonathan Allen and Lemieux was kind of lifted up off the ground again it kind of goes back to what we went over last week where the length I still think is going to be an issue I don't believe play strength is going to be an issue long term but in pass protection that's something that we feared about Shane Lemieux coming out of Oregon we said this guy's gonna be great in a phone booth he's gonna be great running the football kind of establishing his grit his competitive toughness and kind of overpowering players on down blocks and stuff like that but in pass protection his his footwork isn't quite there yet and he doesn't really have the length to kind of combat longer pass rushers kind of like William Golston who we talked about last week who's not necessarily this great pass rusher he's more of just a well-rounded player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but he establishes initial contact and Shane Lemieux can't get his arms onto the chest and 
if you can't really anchor down, keep your chest up, sink your hips, which I feel like Lemieux can do, but there are times where he loses that initial power transfer with the defensive lineman, then he just kind of is a liability at that point. Now, what I will say is there were times on tape where I saw that in this game and in Tampa Bay. And to his credit, he re-anchored himself, he re-established himself, and he did just enough to allow Daniel Jones to get the ball off. Now, while that was going on, he was kind of getting backed up. Maybe you could say he gave up a pressure in those situations, but he is showing the ability to be adaptable. I don't think he's terrible by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's actually really good for a rookie fifth-round pick right now. You got to take that into context. But I don't feel this is like, oh, well, he's better than Will Hernandez because his offensive line has done better the last two weeks. I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah, I don't think those two things are, you know, it's not mutually exclusive that the line has improved so much in these last two weeks because Hernandez is out of the game and because Lemieux is I in the game. I do agree with your overall sentiment there, though, Nick, that Lemieux is definitely impressing me from the standpoint of somebody who was a fifth-round pick who is able to at least play at the NFL level. I still, again, I still I see some long-term issues there, like you've mentioned, with the arms, with the length there, with just it, it, his quickness. It's not even just that either. It's the there are times like fourth quarter, first and twenty seven oh seven left. There are times where he gets caught lunging a little bit against the four eye technique. So if a team rolls out a wide rusher, that means the tackle is going to have to focus on the wide rusher. You're going to have two solo blocks on that side of the line of scrimmage because that four eye technique is obviously not going to be Andrew Thomas's responsibility. He's going to have to take that wide rusher. So that means Shane Lemieux is going to have to take that four eye technique. And in those situations, I felt Lemieux went to go punch to establish initial contact but he kind of lunges a little bit. And each time, Jonathan Allen just chopped his outside arm down and swum over the top of him. That yeah. happened a few different times in pass protection. And on that specific play, Daniel Jones completed a six-yard pass to Sterling Shepard. But that's all credit to Daniel Jones because it took about a second for Jonathan Allen to completely separate himself from Shane Lemieux, and Jonathan Allen just hits Daniel Jones. Now, you don't ideally want those kind of things, and it's the lunging, and it's kind of the timing aspect of Shane Lemieux that's just not there yet. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that that there's a couple bad reps that you could see. Nick brought up one where literally he just gets that that outside arm. The defender gets it over Lemieux and just kind of clubs him down and makes it easy to get to the passer. And that's not what you ever want to see from any any position on this offensive line. And ultimately, I think that's partially because Lemieux is just getting his feet wet. But remember, he played in a very different system than he's playing in now at Oregon with Justin Herbert and the Ducks. I mean, they had a lot of quick quick game action as far as the screen game goes and a line of a lot of a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage. But also, it was mostly a power downhill run first offensive attack. He got to move forward a lot instead of moving backwards in these true pass sets. And like you mentioned, if you know. The responsibility is, as you just broke down, it's it's tough to imagine he had too many of those type of situations in college, at least as far as, you know, the interior defensive lineman he went up against in the Pac-12 aren't really Deron Payne or any of those guys. I mean, he's they're nothing like what he's going to go up against in the NFL. So it's, it's definitely a jump from that standpoint, I think. Yeah, there was also a play in the third quarter with 11-15 left, second and seven, and Lemieux opens up Jonathan Allen's a three-tech, and he tries to swat Jonathan Allen's outside arm down, but he completely misses, and then he just kind of makes contact with Allen. And Allen drives Lemieux back, and to Lemieux's credit, he shows an incredible amount of core strength on this play to, he loses the pad level battle, but he lifts Jonathan Allen up right before he can get to Daniel Jones and tosses him to the ground. That's 11:15 left in the third quarter. So that's one of those reps where it's like he lost early on in the rep, but he was able to kind of just use his raw strength to overpower an incredibly strong defender, Jonathan Allen. 
Yeah, I mean, that wasn't the only time. I'm interested to hear what you think about Lemieux's just raw strength stamp from his from that standpoint versus somebody like Will Hernandez and also his feet and how they move. There was obviously the play that uh, Brian Baldinger broke down on Twitter. I'm sure some Giants fans have seen it where Lemieux's pulling and then he takes the Washington defender and lifts him literally off of his feet with the power. I thought what I really noticed from that rep when I played it back was how quick his feet were and how quick he was to get there. Is that something you think he has a little bit of an edge on over Hernandez? Because I feel like with Hernandez, it just hasn't always been there. I don't want to necessarily make that declaration quite yet. I'd probably have to see him right up next to each other. I think Lemieux did an excellent job on that rep. I want to say that was the first quarter, 1436 left. Second and four was a seven-yard run by Wayne Gallman where the blocking was just in general fantastic. Lemieux comes over. He traps and men on the line of scrimmage, and the rest of the blocking just does an excellent job. Kevin Zeitler takes the three technique, paves him away, even... Cam Fleming comes from the other side, locates the second-level defender, gets in his way. It was an excellent play. But as far as Lemieux's foot quickness, I did feel like it was fine on those trap and those pulling kind of plays. He did a really good job doing that. Not, not Again, not something that he's you know used to doing at this level, obviously. But I don't necessarily want to say that it's just faster than Will Hernandez at this point. But I would like to maybe go back, review some of Will Hernandez's tape, and, and really actually kind of uh, make that determination. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure either. I know that last year Hernandez had a little bit more success pulling, but I also think that not ne- that wasn't necessarily due to the, anything that we talked about, like not necessarily because he had the foot quickness or something like that. I just feel like it was a little bit more based on design. It's tough to know with Hernandez where he's at. I mean, I don't really know what the expectations were for him coming are for him, I should say, coming back from COVID right now. I know he was activated today. Uh, the Giants waived Corey Ballantyne and in a corresponding move, activate Hernandez. I assume he'll return to the starting role and we might see something like we've seen at the tackle position where Lemieux plays a series of game. But I ultimately think, and this will transition to Andrew Thomas now, who I think, I think it's pretty clear had another excellent game, another really big positive step in the right direction. Something that we discussed and thought we saw on the broadcast on the first reactions podcast but something that I think was confirmed by watching this game again on that coach's angle but ultimately I'm in the camp of it doesn't have anything really at all to do with Lemieux versus Hernandez there and it's mostly just all Thomas are are you also in that boat I'm absolutely in that boat I mean you you saw on the film he just seems like a more confident player and I want to say it was either Mark Colombo or Joe Judge spoke to that today in a press conference he said that Andrew Thomas has this confidence about him and you could see it just in the way he moves man I mean his kick slide is so much more balanced you could tell he really is using his power steps much better now as his feet aren't as wild as they were they were coming up way too high before and now they're much closer to the ground I mean when he's kick sliding his feet they're not leaving the ground as much as they were his base is more attached with the ground so he can generate more power through his hips and maintain balance while not being incredibly susceptible to those inside counter moves and as for his hands the placement seemed to be better stronger more reactive to what the defender was doing he held up well against Chase Young and looks far better than he did earlier in the season if he can continue to build on this the giant fans man You could just put that axe down and rejoice because it seems like you found a reliable left tackle, but we're going to need that to be consistent. There were only like two two plays maybe in this game where you could point to Andrew Thomas and get that holding penalty. He also got beat inside once, but it wasn't like the other times he's been beat inside. He just looked like a different player, to be frank. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I feel like I don't really know exactly what has gone into this two-game 
uh, progression. I think it's possible that he was able to kind of mentally collect himself with the long layoff before that Bucks game. And when you have a game like that against a pass rusher like JPP, especially as they went into that game with all the stuff, you know, all the trash, not trash, but all the hype that came from what JPP was saying. And then to go up against him and kind of shut him out of the game, as he basically did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had one really bad rap and pass pro, but that's okay. That's going to happen. And then that helps you build confidence. And you go up against Chase Young for a lot of these reps. And again, you kind of wash him out of the game and that helps you build even more confidence. So it is interesting. I don't, I've never played the offensive line position. I'm not sure you have either, Nick. I don't, I'm pretty sure you haven't, correct? I have not played the offensive line, though. No. When I was right, playing football, I, I was always skilled position. Right, but I, I, and I never really played the, just so all of you know, I've never played the game of football. I tried. I tried when I was younger, and I just didn't have it. So I also went to a huge school, so I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to make it at my size and my weight. But um, as far as what I know, I'm not sure how much playing that offensive line position or playing any position on the offensive line is a mental is a mental thing, but I do believe that there's definitely some factor there, especially when you see guys like Eric Flowers go from, you know, replacement level, should have been out of the NFL, maybe the worst offensive tackle you've ever seen, to an okay guard. Two years in a row, you know, he's playing okay football. So it's just, there has to be some kind of mental factor here. And, and if that is the case, I do believe that they're headed in the right direction there with Thomas. It's mental and it's technical too, Dan. I mean, you just watching the all 22 you could see he has better bend in his knees his weight yep. his hips are lower he's generating more power through his lower body his feet are just so much more precise they're quicker when he's doing his kick slide that leg is not coming up in the air as high as it was you want to keep that really close to the ground you want to slide that foot you don't necessarily want to lift it so if somebody does get underneath you they can knock your equilibrium totally off balance those aren't things that we really saw the last two weeks he just looks so much crisper and it's it's definitely a, a great development now we just need to see that continue and continue and then develop into consistency and then we can feel a lot better about the fourth overall pick in 2020 but before we continue let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at 
a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's a BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And ultimately, that's exactly what Giants fans want to see and should want to see from their fourth overall pick, but also from somebody who plays the left tackle position. And you start to see signs of positivity. And I know you discussed this. We discussed this off pod, and we both wanted to bring it up. I mean, there were times where the Giants used triple teams, double teams to try to slow down Chase Young. And those times were when Chase Young was not lined up on Andrew Thomas' side. And that is super important because when you draft a tackle, at a left tackle at fourth overall, you don't want to ultimately have to make concessions such as, you know, using help, using chips, using double teams to try to slow down premier pass rushers. You need to have the confidence to put this guy on an island. And obviously through the first seven games, he didn't have the confidence and the Giants kept leaving him out there. And now He's starting to get that confidence. He's starting to win those one-on-ones on an island. He is. He is. And I absolutely love to see it. And Washington was also really trying to attack the left side of Daniel Jones's blind side with blitzes. And they did it a couple different times, too. There was the second and six in the first quarter with 8.02 left. And Daniel Jones ends up completing this pass for four yards to Alfred Morris. He's able to get the ball out of his hand. But on this play, you have Washington in their four down front. You had a two-eye technique on the inside of Shane Lemieux. You have a five technique just outside of Andrew Thomas. And what they do on this play is the five technique goes inside, attacks the inside shoulder of Andrew Thomas. And they show no pre-snap blitz, mind you. So what that does is that it occupies Andrew Thomas. And what they did was they brought the outside linebacker from that side, who was not showing blitz whatsoever, to just run unabated right at Daniel Jones. And this happened a couple different times. They would take that five technique, loop him inside. Basically, Shane Lemieux wasn't blocking anybody. He didn't. Nobody picked up this blitz, and it just was unaccounted for. And this is, to Daniel Jones's credit, feeling the pressure, getting rid of the ball. But it was definitely on Jack Del Rio's plan to bring these blindside blitzes and kind of eliminate Andrew Thomas with that five technique looping inside. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that just is another testament to what he did in this game because there was a lot more on his plate when you think of that. And in general, playing this Washington front, there's going to be a lot more on the plate for every Giants offensive lineman. And that one, that kind of transitions me into our discussion on Nick Gates because, you know, that steady drumbeat is starting to build when it comes to Gates. And he's starting to put in more really good film. Obviously, Mark Colombo said this week that he believes he could be one of the best centers in the NFL. He might have even said the best. I think that might be taking it a little too far. But this is the type of game we wanted to see from Gates, a game against a team that has players who can you know, step right in there and give him problems at the point of attack, a team like the Washington football team and the front they put out there. And I think he definitely showed some major signs of progress in this game. I think this was probably all things considered when you factor in the matchup, Gates' best game so far this season. Absolutely. And you can see it on the fourth and one even where it was a quick little ace block with him and Shane Lemieux on Deron Payne. Deron Payne gets so low, but Nick Gates just establishes himself and still ends up generating just enough to make room for Deion Lewis. But sadly, on the right side of the line of scrimmage, 
both Evan Ingram and Cam Fleming kind of lose those blocks and ended up being non-conversion. But there were so many reps in this game where you're like, wow, Nick Gates is having such a phenomenal outing, really. And it comes in different kind of ways. He's doing it in pass protection. He's doing it in the run game, identifying the mic with those ace blocks climbing up to the second level, either him or the guard doing that, and then either handling that transition well, not leaving the guard kind of susceptible with the transition, or climbing himself up there and doing a good job locating, or while pulling, when they do the double pullers with the center, did one where he pulled and he located, I want to say the apex defender, dove at him, hit him in the hips, and knocked him down to clear a path for Alfred Morris. I mean, Nick Gates, he, I'm really growing on Nick Gates. Again, I think he'll always struggle with those nose techniques, but in Washington, never lined up like that. They lined up yeah, they downs. really didn't. No, they did not. And they would just line up with four down linemen and they would block down on the three technique, the two eye technique, whatever, and then transition up. And Nick Gates, man, I'm telling you, that's that's a player that's definitely growing on me. And he's really proving the last couple games how good he really can be. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you I mean, you made a good point. I, I don't want to go too crazy here because you are right for some odd reason that the Washington didn't really. And it's not just Washington, you know, teams, I feel like can get an advantage from lining up an interior defensive lineman on gates. But we're not seeing that. And when, you know, in more and more teams who aren't using those fronts, it really works to the benefit of gates and this Giants offensive line in general, in my mind, because of the type of player he is and maybe the limitations he might have. But outside of maybe the play strength, I think there's a lot of other really good things that you broke down that he's showing week in and week out, both in the pass and the run game. It's not just one-sided. It's not just in the run game. To the point where there's definitely some confidence that I have moving forward that he could be their starter. And then you look at it from an overall standpoint, and you got Gates. you got maybe Andrew Thomas if he continues to play like this, progress like this, and look more like the fourth overall pick. Matt Pear and Kevin Zeitler. And you really are going into next season— and potentially, you know, Hernandez or Lemieux at left guard. I, I I think they could potentially at this point, and now, there's still a lot of football left to be played, but I don't think it's crazy to say that they could go into next season with this same offensive line, not have to use any assets or resources this offseason, and be in good shape there. Which is something that is absolutely crazy to think of as a New York Giants fan. I mean, just think of the offensive lines the Giants have trotted out there in the past. This one's actually really encouraging. And as for Gates, I mean, there were a couple reps where like the third play of the game, he totally lost on a rep. It was on an end around, so it wasn't necessarily important, but you want to see kind of better technique. And then there was one where he was going up against Deron Payne, and he lost initially, but he still found a way to position himself and seal Deron Payne and create a hole that I think it was Alfred Morris found. And it was a really just nice rebound kind of play where you could tell this guy does not give up on any sort of reps. He kind of similar to Shane Lemieux. He can lose early on in the rep and find a way to battle back and try to make a play for that offense and have success and win his one-on-one despite having a slow start. And this is a center we're talking about. This isn't somebody who has a lot of experience playing this position. This is somebody who is just learning this position in a shortened off season. So the fact that he's doing that against really, really good defenders is definitely encouraging. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's talk some skill players before circling back and talking, um, maybe concepts of J- with Jason Garrett in the offense and obviously Daniel Jones. So let's start with Caden Smith because he's someone we both pinpointed in our notes and somebody that we both wanted to talk about or give some due to give some props to somebody who I continue to think is an improving player and somebody who they can move forward with at the tight end position. Caden Smith, there's so much you can say about how good this guy was in this game as a blocker in general. He pass blocked a couple times and there were times where it was just him one-on-one against Chase Young and it's not like he was dominating Chase Young, but he held up enough. 
And he did that in the run and the pass game. There were a couple times where it was him and Levine Toy Lolo who were tasked to pass block. Toy Lolo would chip him, and then it was just him and Caden Smith. And, you know, towards the end of the rep, it definitely looks like Young won the rep. But the fact that he's holding his own in those situations, there's a lot of merit to that. And when you talk about him as a puller, there were three times where he pulled from the H-back position and on the counter plays that the Giants love to run, got into the hole and just annihilated or cleared a path for the running back. One where he absolutely killed number 31, knocked him down. It was it was a crazy rep. I put it on Twitter. It was great. And there was another one where he hits 53 and doesn't allow 53 to fill. There was another one where he gets just enough of the linebacker. And it's kind of awkward because he slips when he's kind of turning into the hole. But he gets just enough of that linebacker to not allow the linebacker to fill the hole. And he did that several times. So he was executing several different types of blocks in both phases of the offense. And he did it at a relatively good level. And it just seems like he's really, really growing. Joe Judge praised him after the game for his physicality. And it was very, very evident on tape. Yeah, he's another player who they claimed last season ends up looking now like a really good claim by kudos to Dave Gettleman and his staff for claiming him because um, he was drafted last season, late round pick, played at Stanford. Ultimately, I believe that they have a pretty good program there and they have a pretty good system in place there on the offensive side of the ball that ultimately helped him, I, I in my mind at least, become the you know blocker that he might be. But he's growing on that level. And if he can continue to show as a blocker and he can continue to put these type of reps on tape that stand out to you or I or literally anyone who has game pass would notice him on these run plays, then he becomes somebody who I think is certainly in their long-term plans because I've been a long, long, long-time believer that those two-way tight ends, those guys who can block, and then ultimately give you something in the passing game, but mostly be blockers, are the way to go with the tight end position, especially if you want to establish the run in the sense that like, if you want to be a physical football team that can have balance to your game. So I think that's definitely another positive sign there and something that the Giants fans can be excited about. He played 41 snaps as a backup tight end. Like The Giants, he's a big part of what the Giants want to do on offense. And I think they're really recognizing that Evan Ingram, as much as they still try to trot him out there to execute some of these blocks, he doesn't, I mean, bless his heart, the guy gives massive amounts of effort. It's just not there. But Caden Smith has proven that he can do this adequately, which is what you want to ask for from a tight end position, especially on those pulling plays, man. Caden Smith is like a man with his hair on fire during some of these pulling plays, and it's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, and he only played 17 fewer snaps than Ingram. And they also got Toy Lolo, who we're not huge fans of, but they did get Toy Lolo on the field for um, 25 snaps. So they had an interesting game plan in this one. They really wanted to be a physical team here. They wanted to win the line of scrimmage, which I believe they did, which is something we don't expect often from this Giants team. We haven't heard it much over the last decade. They were winning at the point of attack, and that's why the running games, I think, have been so inconsistent you know, prior to these last two weeks and over the, the course of time. And when you do it against a Washington football team front, you start to you, you start to grab my attention, at least, because this is not some, you know, terrible front out there. This is a good front. And they really did a good job, I think, in this game. They really did. There's a lot to be said for that. And as for Toy Lolo, there are a lot of reps that I kind of shake my head at. And I think there was one I don't have the timestamp for, so I do apologize, but I want to give him kudos. There was one Wayne Goldman run where I felt like he really executed his assignment very well and owned the point of attack kind of against uh, it might have been Ryan Kerrigan which he's not the best run defender and I, there were a couple reps where Caden Smith does an excellent job against Ryan Kerrigan one on the edge on a pulling play where he where he gets to Ryan Kerrigan seals the edge off and then Ryan Kerrigan ends up knocking him back but by that time Alfred Morris has already gotten around the 
the edge. And it's just like, wow, the positioning and the ability to kind of fight against the end man on the line of scrimmage. Ryan Kerrigan, not the best run defender, but still a lot of great things that you can say about Smith. And I think we're going to continue to see a lot of this this big personnel, this 13 personnel, this 12 personnel packages, and especially if the Giants continue to own the line of scrimmage and have success running the football. I mean, in this football game, with the Giants average, the Giants had, what, 5.2 yards per carry, 5.1 yards per rush, something like that. I mean, that's that's very good against Washington front in Washington. Yeah, especially when you eliminate the the Jones runs that kind of he had a few runs go for 0.7. So that kind of brought it down and the Eli Penny run. But when you just isolate those running back runs, they were well over. So definitely excellent job there. Um, And I think ultimately, to your point, they will look to do more of these heavy personnel looks because that's what they want to do, especially with where they're at as a football team. But it will end on whether or not they can stay ahead and game script will obviously be a big factor here because if the Giants fall behind, I mean, they're not going to face Washington football offense every week. They've got some good ones coming up. They've got Murray. They've got Russell Wilson. So we'll see how that goes, but I think that's what they want to do. So we'll see if they can, they can do what they want to do there. Other guys I want to talk about skill players, Sterling Shepard. I mean, this is a guy who consistently does an excellent job creating separation, but underrated as hell as a run blocker, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's been, that's been something that I, I want to call the Big Blue Banter podcast out. We haven't kind of applauded this enough. And it's something that I've actually noticed on tape. And I noticed it last week on one specific block. And I was like, oh, wow, he's really, really good uh, as a run blocker. And I've seen it in the past, but we never really necessarily brought it up for whatever reason. So that's me calling this podcast out. He is a really low-key good blocker. And it's not even just his physicality at the point of attack. It's how quick he gets to the block point. Sometimes you see a lot of receivers when they block they kind of lollygag to the point and then they try to like cut the angle off at the last second no like Sterling Shepard is very quick getting himself into position to execute the block and then from there he just punches and just continues to move his feet to mirror whatever the defensive back or the safety or whoever it is whatever they're doing and I I really love that kind of effort and I could tell that you know you know that Joe Judge loves that kind of effort you don't see that consistently from a lot of wide receivers and it's so funny because Shepard I saw a tweet today. Shepard is consistently graded out as one of the best blocking receivers since entering the NFL by pro football focus. And it's like all the things we talk about with Evan Ingram, like, does he have the frame to block? No, we don't think he has the frame to block. He's giving effort, but he can't get it done. That's going up against a defensive lineman, but it flips so much when you go out to the outside because you got a guy like Sterling Shepard, who's maybe like a buck 85 soaking wet, probably five, you know, sub six foot. I think he's five, 10 and a half. And yet the size issues, the frame issues don't really apply to him because he's able to do what you said he's able to mirror he's really physical and he keeps his feet churning and so it's interesting to see that you don't really like he is proof that you don't need to be a massive size receiver to be an excellent blocker no he just puts him and i thought austin mack had a couple really nice oh, yeah. blocking there was one where he got tossed and i think it was against chase young they brought they did the pat Shermer special where they bring austin mack <laughs> bring the wide receiver close to the to the tackle and then they use him to kind of help the edge and he and he was the one basically solely blocking Chase Young. And he was doing a good job. And then Chase Young, I think, threw him on the ground or whatever. But it was like, oh, wow, like, look at the effort and the, the active hands and how he's kind of doing that. So uh, I thought Mac also had a – and I know we'll get into him in a little bit, but I thought he, low-key, as a blocker, was just putting himself into good positions to kind of have success. Yeah, well, let's talk Mac now because Mac is somebody we brought up on the last podcast. Mac is a player who – I'm pretty excited for. I know I don't want to get myself too excited. It's easy to get excited about skill players. That's the nature of the position. But he really looks good running out there. And there were even a few reps in my notes where he got open and Daniel Jones didn't didn't make the right read and missed him. But 
he did his job. He got open. And I think, you know, there's limitations, of course. Like, the ball that Daniel Jones threw out there, which was the best ball Jones maybe thrown all season. And it was a perfectly thrown, in-stride, deep ball. It would have been a touchdown if the Giants had, let's say, like, I don't know, like, um, Darius Slayton there, or even digging back to the past, like, real speed burners there on the outside. That should have been a touchdown. He will always be limited in that sense. He doesn't really have the straight line speed. But he brings another dimension he was blocking well in this game, and he was getting open a lot more than even it showed in the target sheet and the stat sheet. And ended up playing 38 snaps in this game, uh, 17 pa- snaps in the passing game, so 17 pass plays and 21 run plays. I think that will continue. I mean, they're going to have to see what they're going to do with Tate, but I think he'll have some kind of role moving forward. I agree, and I think we also got to give credit to Jason Garrett for some of those, like on the 50-yard yeah. touchdown. That was an excellent play call with Evan Ingram kind of running inside up the seam to occupy the deep one-third defender, and then Austin Mack running to the flat, and then right by 23, who goes to Evan Ingram, and then nobody takes, I think it was Curl, number 31, who just didn't take Mack deep, and Mack's just wide. That was really excellent scheming. And you're right, if somebody, if he had a little bit more speed, he might have been able to, The but it might have had to been Tyree Kill speed, if we're going to be real, just because the angle that the defender who was covering Evan Ingram had was, was pretty solid, but, I mean, I'm not going to knock Mac for that. Mac got himself open on that play. Kudos to Jason Garrett, but you're right, man. Mac was able to get open on a lot of other kind of crisp routes and stuff, and there was the almost touchdown that he had where he reached towards the goal line, just didn't have enough to get in, where he just showed, flashed his hands, quick hands, caught the ball, turned around, tried to get in the end zone, make a play. And uh, I really like what I saw from Mac. I mean, as a for an undrafted rookie Receiver. He also made that one really contested catch where just watching it on the all 22, I knew he was going to make the catch because I watched the game, but I was like, oh, damn, he has that defender draped all over him. And he's yeah. able to secure that. And I believe that was a third down. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that was like a key third down. And I was like, damn, Daniel Jones looking for this kid on third down. I, I'm, I'm encouraged. Yeah, and it was the third down, the one you spoke about in the red zone where he reached out and just missed the goal line, another third down where he looked for him. And he was a contested catch guy at Ohio State. I, I think they could have found something here. I mean, I I don't want to get too excited from one game, but he's definitely brings something different to this offense. So I'm definitely excited to see what goes on there. Anyone else skill position wise you want to mention uh, from watching the all 22 before we dive into Daniel Jones? Well, both the running backs, I think, need to get some sort of mention. I think Wayne Gallman is just an excellent physical runner in the sense that like he might only pick up five yards on, on a running play, but it's like, damn man, he really earned those freaking five yards. You know, like he will fall forward, break arm tackles and he's just kind of relentless in his pursuit to kind of get yarded. And you could tell there was one play where he gets tripped up and it wasn't necessarily like the best tackle attempt that he was so frustrated with himself. So I just love that kind of mentality from Gallman and Alfred Morris. I know we had that apology, that apology tour that we did last podcast for Alfred Morris. (laughs) He looked, he looked bursty on film. He did not look as turtle-like as we kind of thought from the the game prior against Tampa Bay. And there was one run up the sideline where he kind of ran through a safety who was trying to come in on him. And then he kind of tries to keep his balance up the sideline, but he ends up going out of bounds. And if he was able to keep his balance there, he might have. He probably wouldn't have housed it because he doesn't have that kind of breakaway speed, and it was like forty yards. But he probably would have picked up like an extra twenty yards. And it was just, damn, man, he he, he has some contact balance there for uh, for a guy who hasn't been in football for a little bit. Yeah, he definitely showed more contact balance than I thought, and burst. Those are two traits that I thought he vision too, man. Yeah, the vision is definitely there within the system, and and you made a good point. I mean, you said, you know, why are they playing him? Well, that is the reason. He he does show that. Uh, I still have my long term. I don't think he's adding much long term, but 
this is what the Giants are. They're going to be a team. They have been this way forever under Gettleman. That's going to prioritize getting better right now. That's why I think ultimately we'll find out tomorrow. I think they might claim Tack McKinley from the Falcons, even though, you know, there's potential with his off-field issues, with his personality. I don't know. If they feel like they can fix him and bring in this locker room and get the most out of him, I think they might sign him because they're always looking to improve the roster for the now. And I feel like with Morris, they feel at least like now, right now, that he can help them. Again, he's still not much in the passing game, and I think when he's in the game, like, for example, he was in the game for 16 snaps, and they ran the ball on nine of them. So I think it's a little bit of a tip-your-hand type situation there. But ultimately, if he's going to show that kind of improved burst from the first game, it's still not that much wiggle in my mind. It's still not that much uh, ability to force missed tackles. But again, vision, some burst. He He's worth playing right now when you consider the other option would be like Deion Lewis. Yeah, you mentioned Tack McKinley. I think that might be an interesting addition. I mean, we have guys like Trent Harris and Jabal Sheard out there, and we'll get into those two on the defensive podcast, but McKinley would add a kind of edge rusher that the Giants do not have right now. In week one, he had six pressures. In week two, he had two, and then he played sparingly in week five and seven, and he hasn't played yet, and maybe this is something that he can use for his career, but I know he has some off-field problems, but that's definitely somebody that intrigues me, but... I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely intrigued from the sense that I think he would be their best one-on-one pass rusher on third-down situations. I'd probably like to see him on the field more than the Sheards of the of the world, and even, honestly, the Fackrells. And it would take him time to learn the system. Graham likes to do a lot of different things with those edges. But I think, ultimately, the ability to get some improve, improvement from the one-on-one edge battles can help this football team because they didn't have much of a pass rush. There's a reason Alex Smith played only three quarters, basically, with the, you know, a few more snaps in three quarters, and threw for 325, averaging over 10 yards an attempt. It has has some to do with the fact that they get into these third downs and they can't ultimately win quickly now. I don't know if Tack McKinley will be that guy, but I think it's worth taking a chance on for sure. Oh, absolutely. So, Daniel Jones, Dan, how you, how you feeling? Um, I, I feel pretty similar to how I felt. After the game, I mean, there's going to be there's some good, there's some bad. He didn't wasn't ultimately asked to do all that much, but he was asked to do some. And there were a few key down situations where, you know, there's there, it feels like there's flashes of really good, like like the first and ten throw from the Giants, 19, 11, 49, the the throw to Austin Mack, the deep ball there, and even the pass to Ingram. I thought he did an excellent job with his eyes there. I thought he snapped his shoulders back, squared up. I mean, the pocket was unbelievably clean there I think I think Joe Judge broke that one down um, on his report and the interior line was completely blocking up the interior pass rushers and both Parrott and Thomas did an excellent job there but he still snapped his head around snapped his shoulders around and really ripped that ball in there those are the good stuff then there's still a lot of misreads that I see when when and this is something you know you can't see as much unless you watch the all 22 I mean the third and four at the Washington 38 early in the game 1238 this is the one I was talking about uh, earlier, this was in quarter one when he missed a wide open Mac. He just doesn't look at him at all. There's still a few plays where he's just not where there's open guys that he just doesn't get to or doesn't look to. I still feel ultimately when I watch Daniel Jones, my biggest takeaway is that while he's improving mentally in some ways, he's still very much so a pre-snap, uh, a pre-snap quarterback. He likes, he likes to do a good job <laughs> in his mind at least. And ultimately sometimes it does work out of reading it pre-snap and then going with what he reads ba- based off of that. Yeah, he does do that. There was also a uh, a play in the first quarter, 9.57 left, 
that was one of the plays where Trace Young was actually triple teamed. Yep. But he kind of missed a read to Shepard. Now, I am not don't really necessarily want to lay this at the feet of Jones because he's looking at Shepard, who kind of comes off of his original route and runs just into like 15 yards of open space. But Shepard's not looking his way. So I, I don't necessarily want to ding him for that. But there was also a blown coverage third and five with 10.53 left that Daniel Jones didn't necessarily pick up. There was the first and 10 play, a play action. He has Levine Toilolo running a flag route, and it looks like he might be open, but you could say, okay, let's not throw it to Levine Toilolo on this first and 10 play, and that's fine. But once he kind of gets his shoulders square, the defender that's on Eli Penny, he's throwing it to Penny, who's kind of clearly covered, and you can see the defender running to the flat cross the face of Caden Smith, and he could have threw it to Caden Smith, and he just did not. And that's kind of those quick decisions that we kind of talk about every now and again, that he doesn't necessarily pull the trigger on and doesn't notice, okay, that defender's moving there. That means this guy's going to come open here in about a half second. I don't think it's egregious. I don't think it's terrible, but it, it's just something that like every week we kind of see plays here and there like this, where it's just like, you're not maximizing every opportunity. Yeah. I think that's the best way to say, it. I think with Jones, it's interesting. He has he ultimately has a better physical skill set than I ever really expected, and I think that translated a lot on the field in his rookie year. He throws a really good ball at times, and it, you saw it on that Mac throw and then on the Ingram throw. There's a lot of velocity on both of those, and that ball, not, neither ball hung in the air to get there, that spot that it's going to go. Um, and ultimately, I feel like with mental thing for me, I think he was kind of really far behind the eight ball based on what he did at Duke and the system he played in at Duke. And then, you know, as you said, New system his first year, his rookie season. Then a new system his second year. So I, it's tough for me to know, Nick, like how much of this we can attribute to a player who hasn't made that many starts at the NFL level and who has had to deal with a lot of moving parts, both at the wide receiver position, the running back position, the coordinator position with the system, and even on the offensive line. And then just somebody who is so far behind the eight ball or just has a different style or a different way of processing defenses that he may never get there because – it's not like it's going to be a just Justin Herbert situation where he's going to bail them out of too many plays with his physical skill set. I think when he is right, his physical skill set is fine. The arm talent is there. It's fine. And he can make good plays using his arm. But he really does have to be a man. I do feel I just feel like ultimately if he's going to reach his ceiling, whatever that may be, it has to be from the mental standpoint. I, I would agree with that sort of like a Matt Ryan kind of. But the that third and five play in the second quarter with 10.53 left. Now, it was a 21-yard gain to Sterling Shepard on a mesh concept where he finds Shepard crossing the middle of the field, and that's great. And that's obviously the primary read in this play was that mesh concept to kind of confuse the the coverage, and it looked like Washington was in man coverage to the boundary, and they had some sort of zone in the middle of the field, and also it was either a zone or just a blown coverage to the field because Darius Slayton runs a deep flag route and he's kind of wide open. 29 is about seven yards off of him with his back to the sidelines. Maybe can make a play if the yep. ball's underthrown. But if Daniel Jones puts this ball out in front of Darius Slayton, this is an easy touchdown and there's no questions asked whatsoever. And it's kind of little plays like that where I'm just like, oh, Daniel, you, you didn't you didn't notice that. You don't notice that the, the safety is kind of towards the middle of the field and maybe that safety is only there because Daniel Jones' eyes there. And you just want to pick up that first down, you know, and I, and I understand that because you have Sterling Shepard coming over and just get that first down. But it's we kind of see one or two of these every week, Dan. And it's just something that I feel like we should acknowledge the people who listen to Big, Big Blue Banter podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we should acknowledge, something we've talked about before. But 
he does like to to you know it and it's it's interesting i read something this week on twitter um from benjamin solak who's uh kind of like a draft film guy and he was talking about how brady when they went down the box against the saints started to do a little bit of the same thing where he kind of starts to lean on his predetermined reads. And there was a snap they or play they put on Twitter where Mike Evans was literally streaking wide open down the middle of the field, down the seam. And Brady just totally doesn't see him. And he hits the quick out to one of his slot guys. I think it was Miller on the play. I think that's, something you see less of with Brady. Solak mentioned like this, you only see this with Brady when he's down by a multiple big scores and he kind of starts to check into that. But for us, I feel like when we watch Daniel Jones, we see it a lot more. And obviously you don't want to compare Daniel Jones to Tom Brady from a mental standpoint, but it does feel like the processing is behind enough that it's leaving some plays on the field each game. And if that's going to be the case again, like just as far as I go with Jones, I definitely saw some positive signs in this game. I still definitely feel like they can build around him. They can afford to not go quarterback this offseason. It may not be what I want them to do. Ultimately, I'm not sure yet, but I think they can afford to do it and give him another chance to grow and develop if the mental gets better. But he, d- it definitely does feel like he's still relying a lot on what he sees before the snap. And I, ultimately, I'm just not sure that you're going to be able to win long term with that. Yeah, and I think that's a, a fair assessment. I think it's definitely something that can be developed. But I think you put it best there, Dan, that he does leave some plays on the field when you watch this all 22, you kind of see it. And I know there was a popular thing going around Twitter where Matt Miller, who's somebody who covers Bleacher Report, said that Daniel Jones is the worst starting quarterback that's not a starting quarterback due to injury or anything like that. I think that's, I personally think that's a bad take. I don't think he's a worse starting quarterback than probably maybe only a handful of guys, but he does need to improve in these certain areas. And you're, you're right with something you said earlier. I didn't expect him to, not from like an athletic standpoint, but from an arm talent standpoint, have exactly what he possesses at this point in his career. Just watching his film on Duke, I thought like his receivers didn't bail him out at Duke, but I, I thought in his rookie season, his arm talent was much better than I originally yep. expected, for sure. But you, we definitely need to see this, the mental ability kind of come along a little bit now and need him to hit these plays more and find these plays more and yeah. have these longer touchdowns when they're on the field instead of these safer kind of check downs. And again, I understand why he would do this on this play, but it's not, it's like he didn't even realize that it was single high and that nobody was covering the deep part of the field side of the play. Yeah, exactly. And I think you put it best. He, he needs to make more plays with his arm. If he's not going to be, you know, he makes it, he's made some big plays with his legs, but ultimately he needs to make a lot more, more big plays with his arms and that requires taking more chances and not, you know, sticking with the easy route you find pre-snap. Now, as far as what Matt Miller said, if I were you and I was listening to this podcast, I would take that with a massive grain of salt because of a lot of reasons. One, Matt Miller is known at least in the community. I mean, he's a hard worker. He's built himself up, but he is in some ways hacky. I mean, he claimed the giants were turned down a third round pick for Landon Collins before the trade deadline that season when he was a free agent, when I have it on good record that they were not offered a third round pick, they were offered a fourth round pick. I don't say this often because I very rarely have things on record from sources, but this one, I know for a fact they were not offered a third round pick. So that was just completely made up. I also just think in general, Matt Miller, me, Nick, none of us are grinding all 22 of 32 quarterbacks a week. 
No, no, no one has the time to do that. The only person who may come close to having anywhere close to that is Mark Schofield, who we've had on the podcast, who had a really excellent breakdown of Daniel Jones going into this season. If you look back on our podcast archive, if you're new to the podcast, go scroll through our feed and find the episode we have with Mark Schofield, because I think he's one of the few people who actually watches. And I'm sure he doesn't have time to watch all 32 starting quarterbacks, but he does a lot of quarterbacks. He <laughs> grinds tape on a lot of quarterbacks. And so when someone like Matt Miller, who I know doesn't have the time to watch all 32 quarterbacks makes that statement it's okay I mean he could base it off of advanced stats or traditional stats and in both ways Daniel Jones is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL if you look at those numbers um, and I think that's fair to, it's a fair point to make but I think when you watch these guys and I've taken some time to, to study a lot of these quarterbacks that were around his age like if you watch Drew Locke Drew Locke misses so many throws game after game after game that just ball placement issues that are just wild and maddening and then just issues with consistency from the footwork standpoint and just from rushing his throws and just being off. And that's not Jones's problem, but it's fair to say at this point, like, okay, on paper, Jones looks like he should be a better quarterback than he is, Nick. I think that's fair to say, like, from our standpoint, because it's not translating how we would like to at this point, but you just never know from a time standpoint. This could be an example of somebody who more time because we've seen that with some of the players. We've seen, we've seen that with a lot of quarterbacks who have developed later in their careers. And in many ways, Daniel Jones projects similar to some of those quarterbacks. So I, I'm still at the point where I want to give him more time. I want to see where we're at with this after the season. Yeah, same, same here. And I think you put that well when it comes to Matt Miller in terms of, just like the grinding of all 32 quarterbacks. And I, I just don't think calling him the worst starting quarterback is really a fair statement when you look at certain situations around the NFL, particularly what's going on in Washington. You brought up Drew Locke. I think Sam Darnold can get grouped into that. And a lot of yeah. these younger quarterbacks that aren't Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, guys like that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you can look across the NFL and find examples of people playing at a similar level, but ultimately Baker Mayfield. I mean, they're yeah. They're, Baker Mayfield may be the worst of the bunch. I think besides Locke I, that I've seen Dwayne um, Haskins, Alex, that whatever's going on in Washington. Sure. But when you also factor in how well the Browns offensive line is playing and how that system kind of is so quarterback friendly, he may actually be the worst in my mind. But ultimately, again, it's not about being the worst here. It's not a race to the bottom. For Giants fans, for this Giants franchise, they need a quarterback who's at minimum in the top 15, the top half. And ultimately, if you want to win a Super Bowl, probably in the top 10. Uh, so, you know, he's got a long way to go from there, I still feel like, with Jones. And I'm not, I'm, there, I'm definitely not sold on him long term. I still remain the same way. I mean, again, remember, the question was pretty specific. It was in five years, in 2025, will Daniel Jones be the quarterback? I'm still at a two there, confidence level-wise. I mean, nothing's really changed from these two games. If I start to see him see the field a little bit better, make big plays using his vision and his arm talent, which is, again, sufficient. We both were part of the reason we were excited about Jones so much watching the tape last year and then going into this season was because of the arm talent. We didn't expect to see some of the throws that he made that we just didn't see coming by watching his tape at Duke. So if more of those big plays happen, things can change fast. But right now it feels like he's taking a lot of what the defense gives him before the snap and not really pushing the ball in ways that we, we want him to. He's leaving plays on the field. Yes, and I think that's, like like we said, I think that's a fair assessment. All right, no doubt. All right, that's all we have for today on the offensive 
All 22 Coaches Film Podcast breakdown of the Giants' win over the Washington football team. This was Jones's fourth win over the football team. He's now 4-0 against the football team, but 1-16 against other teams, which ultimately is not going to cut it as well. But hopefully there's brighter days ahead. I feel like the Giants are starting to gel a little bit on the offensive line. It's going to be a really interesting uh, task this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm excited to see if this offensive line can continue to play at that level because they really didn't play that all that well against the Philadelphia Eagles, their first matchup. So we'll have to see how it goes this time and if they can carry that over or if the matchup's just too much. But as always, thank you again for tuning in. Um, we will be doing the defensive all 22 podcast breakdown next. So check that out on your feed. And if you want to help us out, rate, review, subscribe, like, download, anything you can do, hit us up on Twitter and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.